What do you have in your underpants? Nothing in your underpants? At least I earlier, I had socks, but not any pants, I didn't. You didn't have socks, but you know, run around once in a while with a sock and your pants make you look like a boy? Welcome back to Unjustly. My name is Stephanie and this is my co-host Sandy. Hi. So we're recording on the day after Halloween. So we've had a lot of candy. I've watched a lot of scary movies leading up to yesterday. I don't know about you, but Tim and I, for the most part, pretty much every day in October, watched uh, some sort of like Halloween or scary movie, Mm, which was really nice. Um, And then we have a little bit of candy left over because we thought kids were going to be coming by and then they didn't. Did you throw any candy at them? I know that was your plan. <clears throat> Our plan was to throw candy off the, the balcony. balcony. Yeah. Um, no, they came to the door. Oh, dang. <laughs> so Tim had to go downstairs with like his mask on and yeah. everything. And um, I think we only had like six or seven kids come mm. by. But that means more candy for me. So that's fine. And then also just a quick update for everyone who was worried about our couches. They are in. They were delivered this weekend. <laughs> um, we have been waiting on couches since July, which is when we moved in. So yesterday, we definitely spent the day lounging on them, watching movies on them, taking pictures of them, like literally just lived on the couches <laughs> because we were so excited. And um, so the couches basically go from one wall to another, like they wrap around our mm-hmm. living room. It looks so nice. So Tim can be on one end, I can be on the other, and we'd still be following social distancing rules. <laughs> And not to mention that we got an ottoman that is basically an island that was made just for Hercules. So he has his very own slice of couch heaven. And he has like adapted to the couches very quickly. He jumps from like the chase to the ottoman to the other side of the couch and then on top of the couch to look out the window. Parkour. He parkours. Yes, it's the cutest thing. So I think he's he's loving it. It was probably one of the best investments we've ever made (laughs) these couches so we're very excited and yeah anyways so this episode will air post-election yeah and honestly i just hope that everyone is doing well that things turned out the way that we all hoped they would and that we now live in a world where our president believes that black lives matter that women's rights are human rights that no human is illegal that science is real that love is love and that kindness is everything So when planning this episode, Sandy also reminded me that it would air a couple of days before Transgender Day of Remembrance, which is this coming Friday, November 20th. I mean, this coming Friday as far as when this episode actually airs. Right. Um, And so for those of you who don't know or weren't aware that this day existed, Mm -hmm. um, the Transgender Day of Remembrance serves several purposes. It raises public awareness of hate crimes against transgender people, an action that current media doesn't perform. Day of Remembrance publicly mourns and honors the lives of those who might otherwise be forgotten. It is a day to express love and respect for people who face national indifference and hatred. Day of Remembrance gives allies a chance to step forward and stand in vigil, memorializing those who have died by anti-transgender violence. So today I wanted to do a story that many people might know, but that I feel really showcases how the fear of the unknown, lack of education, and ultimately how patriarchal society has allowed for hate crimes on transgender people to continue happening. On December 24th of 1993, when Brandon Tina was only 21 years old, 
two of his so-called friends, John Lauder and Tom Neeson, kidnapped him, raped and beat him and threatened to kill him if he went to the police. A couple of nights later, on December 31st, Brandon and two others were found dead. So this is the story of Brandon Tina. And for those of you who might not recognize a name, if you've ever seen the movie Boys Don't Cry with Hilary Swank, this Mm -hmm. is the story of that crime. So I got my information for today's episode from Wikipedia. Um, uh, There was like an article on Britannica called just Brandon Tina. And then there is another article by, uh, so this one was interesting because this is by Stephanie Farrington and she actually covered the murder when it happened. But then she came back like two decades later and started to view, like re, like reevaluate it from a different I guess, yeah, like reevaluate it and look at it through a like a larger, more encompassing lens. So that was really cool. That article was called Two Decades After Brandon Tina's Murder, A Look Back at Fall City. An article called The Humboldt Murders in The New Yorker by John Gregory Dune. And then lastly, The Brandon Tina Story, the documentary by Susan Muska and Greta Olaf's Dotier, maybe. So that's where I got my information for today's episode. Um, Brandon Tina was born, Tina Brandon. He was born into an Irish-American conservative patriarchal poor white family that lived in Lincoln, Nebraska. Brandon had gone to Catholic school growing up and was raised with his sister by his single mother, Joanne, who was only 16 years old when she had Brandon. Brandon's father was only 19 years old when he died in an alcohol-related car accident while his mother was still pregnant with him, so he never got to meet his, his father. Brandon and his sister had a rough childhood. Both were sexually molested by a male relative when they were only children, a fact that his mother thought could explain why Brandon dressed like a man and wanted to be a man. Joanne thought that it could have been a defense mechanism Brandon used to make sure he was never taken advantage of again. However, today we know that being transgender is not a choice that one makes. Born in 1972, in an America that had almost no awareness about trans or any other kind of gender variant people, whispers of the word transsexual had barely been making their way to this town, but only in terms of psychological, medical, moral, and even legal judgments. Brandon had rejected traditional female gender roles at an early age. He wore masculine clothes and adopted masculine habits and began dating females in his adolescence. For the most part, Brandon started supporting himself at an early age, working menial jobs and committing petty crimes. He had a number of romantic relationships with biological females who, for the most part, were not aware that he was a transgender man. He was described as the ideal man by many of the women he dated. One had even stated that he was the perfect balance of rugged cowboy and athletic jock with a Kennedy-like jawline. He actually was very good looking. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that that's one of the good things that came from the movie is Mm -hmm. that Hilary Swank, I think, kind of really portrayed him really well. Yeah. Even just like physically. And although he did pretty well with the ladies, the lack of support from loved ones and his own apprehension about his gender and sexuality, he was also very depressed. Following a suicide attempt, he spent a couple of days at the Lancaster County Crisis Center, where a psychiatrist determined that he was suffering from a gender identity crisis and personality disorder. Later on, Brandon was treated by the director of the Gay and Lesbian Resource Center at the University of Nebraska for his gender identity crisis, and the director, David Bolkovac, ultimately acknowledged that Brandon believed she was a man trapped inside a woman's body, and that Brandon did not identify herself as a lesbian, but she believed that she was a man. Mm -hmm. Furthermore, 
Brandon cross-dressed as a man and adopted practices to coax her body into virtual manness. So to suppress her femininity, she strapped ace bandages around her chest, shaved her face, and stuffed a sock into her jeans. Brandon also viewed women from a man's angle. So Brandon's mother once asked him if he was a lesbian, like trying to understand better like what was going on. And his reply was, that's disgusting. I can't be with a woman in that way. I love them the way a man does. It's like I really am a man trapped inside this body. Isn't that so sad? Yeah. It's really, I feel like that must be so frustrating to try to explain that to someone. Mm -hmm. Like, I'm not who I am. I'm someone else. And Mm -hmm. like, I can't like show it. Was the mom open to this? Like accepting? I can't remember. Um, So the mom had a lot of like her own kind of issues going on. Mm -hmm. I mean, obviously the fact that she was 16 when she got pregnant, um, I think she had a lot of like financial issues and stuff. So as far as like being fully accepting, I think she just tried to understand, but I I don't think she understood Mm -hmm, at mm -hmm. that time what a trans person was. So, I mean, just like with this, I think she had a a problem or like an issue with people saying he he was trans or he was this or he he was this for her one of the big things was no like he's doing this as a coping mechanism because he was sexually assaulted when he was younger and so the fact that he wants to now be a man it's just a way for him to never be assaulted again Mm -hmm. but it's like i mean i guess that could be true but from everything that we've seen and everything that we've learned mm-hmm. about Brandon, Brandon truly felt like he was just trapped inside that his body. Yeah. So I think she tried. I just don't think that the education was there, was there back in 93, which doesn't seem like that long ago, but I mean, really is a long time, I guess, in this world. So after this, Brandon stopped going to therapy. He began engaging in compulsive behavior. He was forging checks and stealing credit cards. And most of the time, this was just to pay for gifts that he was buying his girlfriend. So he really was just like a ladies man. (laughs) And the girls that he dated were like truly liked him, like were truly Mm -hmm. in love with him um, because they didn't feel like they felt like he truly understood what a woman needed of a man. Mm -hmm. And so they were they were all about him. Yeah. In 1993, faced with multiple warrants for theft and forgery, Brandon left his hometown of Lincoln, Nebraska, and headed to a place where nobody knew him or that he was biologically female. This is where the story of Brandon's death begins. Just before Brandon's 21st birthday, he arrived in Fall City, Nebraska, a place he fled to in hopes of a new beginning in a town that only knew him as a man. The only problem was that Fall City was highly intolerant. Deputy Sheriff John Larson described the city as a place of high degree of intolerance for difference. So anyone who was gender nonconforming, gay, bisexual, and not strictly male or female would be a target. None of these things seemed to be a problem for Brandon because shortly after arriving in town, he met Lisa Lambert, who fell for his charms after Brandon offered to adopt her infant son. Mm. So like he met her at a (laughs) bar or something and was instantly taken by her and was Mm -hmm. like, Kind of like, marry me, I'll adopt your son, and like, we'll live happily ever after. So she claimed to have been romantically involved with Brandon after letting him stay at her Humboldt farmhouse until he settled in or found somewhere else to stay, but the romance was short-lived because Brandon quickly turned his attention to someone else. Her name was Lana Tisdell. Lana and her sister Leslie were well-known around Fall City. One article I read described them as an itch every local stud felt impelled to scratch. Isn't that, like... Crazy, yeah, that's gross. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah. but I mean, in other words, they were well known around town. So 
A quick side note, because it's important to acknowledge the other two victims of the crime. Lana's sister, Leslie, joined the Job Corps in the fall of 1993 in an attempt to pull her life together. She was sent to the Job Corps Center in Denison, Iowa, where she met Philip Devine. Philip's life was not without hardships of its own. His mother had been prescribed a defective drug during his pregnancy that had caused him to be born two months premature with a damaged heart, crossed eyes, lungs that were permanently scarred, and a right leg that ended at the knee. Despite of all of this, Philip was thriving in Denison. He was active in the Center's Business Professionals of America chapter. He was selected to attend a Job Corps conference in Washington, and in fact, it was only by coincidence that he was in Denison when Leslie arrived. That fall, he had broken his leg and had to withdraw from the Job Corps while his leg healed. And had he not broken his leg, he would, as planned, have transferred to another Job Corps center in Colorado. And unfortunately, all of these coincidences would later cost him his life. So mm, just rough. so we're like getting all of the like people involved in, yeah. in what's about to happen. In addition to Lisa Lambert, who he was living with, the Tisdale sisters and Philip Devine, Brandon fell in with a new group, including two men by the names of John Lauder and Marvin Thomas Neeson. But money was still an issue and Brandon began forging checks again. Shortly after his arrival in Fall City, on December 19th of 1993, Brandon was arrested, and this arrest was the unfortunate catalyst that led to the series of events that would directly lead to his murder. When Lana showed up to pay for Brandon's bail, she was surprised to find that he had been housed in the female section of the jail. And this would be Lana's first time realizing that Brandon might not be as he appeared. He tried to explain to Lana that he was a hermaphrodite, although this has never been proven and there's no evidence to support his claims. And he told her that he was interested in gender reassignment surgery. And as much as Brandon tried to identify as a man, by this time, um, everyone in town had found out that Brandon Tina was actually Tina Brandon. Mm. And the only reason they found out was because the local newspaper had published the details of his arrest in the Ugh. newspaper along with his birth name. That's awful. Yes. So this newspaper had essentially outed Brandon in a town that was highly conservative, mm. but also did not understand what it meant to be transgender. The fear of this unknown, a feeling like Brandon had betrayed them, infuriated Lauder and Neeson. And so they were all kind of like hanging out. They would, they were actually like friends. Yeah. So Lauder and Neeson, like with um, Brandon, they would hang out. They would go out together. This also, it's kind of crazy because this all happened within like literally a span of one month. Oh, wow. From when Brandon arrived in this town to when he was murdered mm -hmm. it was like about a couple weeks time but in that week that those couple weeks like he really they did fall in lot. with them they were hanging mm -hmm. out all the time um the tisdale sisters hung out with them so it was like this really small like kind of core group of people that he happened to fall in with so it seems crazy that they were this upset but i guess to them it was like we've been hanging out with you like every day and we had no idea mm -hmm. i didn't realize it was that short of a time frame. it was so quick oh so, so quick. A couple of days later, at a Christmas Eve party at Neeson's house, they forced Brandon to disrobe and reveal his biological sex to the guest of the party, including his girlfriend, Lana. As if that wasn't enough, the nightmare continued. Lauder and Neeson forced Brandon into their car, drove him out to a remote area in Humboldt where they beat him and took turns raping him. After driving him back to Neeson's house, they locked him in a bathroom where they demanded he shower and threatened to kill Brandon if he ever reported the incident. So they wanted him to shower to make sure that they got rid of the got DNA. rid of all of the mm -hmm. DNA evidence. But Brandon managed to escape the bathroom and fled to Lana's house. 
She then called an ambulance and Brandon was taken to the Falls City Hospital emergency room. A rape kit was conducted and a police report was filed. Sadly, the victimization report turned into an interrogation when Sheriff Charles Lowe proceeded to blame Brandon for his assault and made inappropriate comments about his identity. Yes, so the following is the questioning Brandon, who had just been brutally beat and raped, had to endure by Sheriff Charles Lowe. Oh, no. It is a trigger warning, but I feel like we've talked about this Mm -hmm. all the time. This just seems so much more hurtful, Mm -hmm. I guess, because of the fact that he was a transgender male. Yeah. So it's already bad enough when you're being victim blamed. When you're being victim blamed, victimized, but also just like now you're having to explain all of these things. Mm-hmm. So this is this is how that kind of interrogation went down. So the sheriff asked, after he pulled your pants down and seen you was a girl, what did he do? Did he fondle you any? And Brandon responds, no. And then he asked, he didn't fondle you any. Doesn't that kind of amaze you? Doesn't that kind of get your attention somehow that he would have put his hands in your pants and play with you a little bit? And then he says, you were all half-assed drunk. I can't believe that if he pulled your pants down and you are a female, that he didn't stick his hand in you or his finger in you. Brandon says, well, he didn't. And the sheriff responds, I can't believe that he didn't. Did he have a hard-on when he got back there or what? And Brandon responds, I don't know. I didn't look. And he says, you didn't look? Did he take a little time working it up or what? Did you work it up for him? And Brandon says, no, I didn't. And then he asks, you didn't work it up for him. To which Brandon responds again, no. And then the sheriff asks, then you think he had it worked up on his own or what? Brandon says, I guess so. I don't know. And the sheriff asked, you don't know. When he got in the back seat, you were already spread out back there, ready for him, waiting for him. Brandon says, no, I was sitting up when he got back there. And the sheriff asks, and you had never had sex before? To which Brandon responds, no. And he asks, well, how old are you? Brandon says, I'm 21. And he says, and if you're 21, you think you'd have, you'd have trouble getting it in? Why do you run around with girls instead of guys, being you're a girl yourself? And Brandon says, why do I do what? And he says, why do you run around with girls instead of guys, being that you're a girl yourself? Brandon says, I haven't the slightest idea. And then the sheriff says, you haven't the slightest idea? You go around kissing other girls? The girls that don't know about you, they think you're a guy. Do you kiss them? And Brandon responds, I have a sexual identity crisis. And he says, a what? And Brandon says, I have a sexual identity crisis. And the sheriff asks, you want to explain that? And Brandon just says, I don't know if I can even talk about it. So he literally left the hospital, goes to the sheriff department Mm -hmm. and has to sit through. This is not... Like, hey, let's find out what happened. Like, tell me, break down what happened. This is why, if you're a girl, why didn't they penetrate you? Mm -hmm. Did you have to help them to get it up? Um, Why are you running around with girls? Why are you kissing other girls if you're a girl? Like, none of this actually leads to anything productive that would Mm -hmm. help the sheriff then go and arrest or track down these two guys. None of it. So it's just awful that Brandon had to sit through all of this. this. And there's a documentary um that has the actual audio and it's just so heartbreaking because brandon can barely talk like Mm. he's so like i think physically beat but also just like emotionally and mentally beat after this shameful questioning lo went on to interview neeson and lauder about the assault but did not arrest them stating that he did not have enough evidence when asked why he hadn't arrested the two 
Lowe had stated that he did not trust Brandon because she had lied about her gender. Lowe went as far as to suggest that this was not rape at all. Instead, it could only have been a consensual sex act in which Brandon freely participated. And his comments echo those expressed by several of the men interviewed in Timothy Benneke's study of male's attitude toward rape. In the study, many rapists believe that women would enjoy rape because all sex is pleasurable. Which, again, like, talked about this so much. Oh, my God. According to this formulation, the male-defined pleasurability of sex renders female consent irrelevant. Similarly, Lowe's questions construe Brandon's consent as negligible. For Sheriff Lowe, Brandon's identity is simultaneously woman and not woman. It is inhuman, debased, and sexually depraved. Because Brandon is an it with a deviant sexual predilection, his consent to any sexual act is unimportant. That does I'm sorry, what? So when, the, at one point, the sheriff interviews Lana's mom, and he's asking her about, about Brandon and the relationship and, like, what she knows about Brandon. And at this point, like I said, everyone in the town already knows that Brandon yeah. is biologically female. And she's kind of stumbling in how to refer to Brandon again back in... 93 mm-hmm. especially in a town like this it was hard they didn't know how to address brandon yeah and so she's stumbling on her like pronouns and the sheriff is like just call it an it mm. it's like brandon's not an it brandon's yeah. a human being well, so he just said it's he's inhuman for him it's mm-hmm. like this dehumanizing that makes it not only like okay that he was raped but mm-hmm. again like also more that like he almost deserved it because he was lying because he was lying to people about his gender and his Mm -hmm. sex because he was running around with girls even though he was a girl so like all of these things just awful but i think that this really showcases what being transgender not only in a town like this but probably in a lot of places in america Mm -hmm. was like back then but still today i mean yeah how many people don't understand or don't believe it but being transgender is not a choice that one makes just like being homosexual is not a choice that one makes it's a mm-hmm. biological thing mm-hmm. so i would argue that it was his failure to arrest neeson and lauder that had undoubtedly allowed the two to seek revenge and cost brandon and two others their lives on the night of december 31st lauder and neeson arrived at lisa lambert's house where tina was staying the two shot and killed brandon at point blank range and then proceeded to stab him just to make sure he oh was my dead gosh they also murdered lisa and philip devine They did all of this in front of Lisa's eight-month-old son, Tanner, who Brandon had once offered to adopt. Mm -hmm. They left Tanner alone at the house until hours later when Lisa's mother showed up to find the horrific scene. Can you imagine? It's absolutely terrible. It's fucking awful. How long was the baby left? So this was all like in the night, early hours of the morning, and Mm -hmm. then Lisa's mom showed up the next morning, I don't know, like 10 Mm -hmm. or 11. So he was definitely alone for... A, a while. handful of hours, yeah, at the house. Poor baby. So Lauder and Neeson were arrested and charged the same day, and both were later found guilty of murder. Neeson received a sentence of life in prison in exchange for his testimony against Slaughter, and Lauder received the death penalty, but in 2015, Nebraska abolished the death penalty, so his sentence was commuted to life in prison. Following his murder, the media coverage of Brandon's murder portrayed it as the inevitable consequence of his sexual deviance and lying. They deemed Brandon as deceitful, and newspaper headlines read, Death of a deceiver, deadly deception, Tina Brandon's double life may have led to a triple murder. So that one right there really got me because <laughs> now they're pinning. Blaming. Yeah, not, now they're not only blaming Tina Brandon for his own, or mm-hmm. Brandon Tina, Brandon's murder for, or Brandon's life for his own murder, but also for the, the other, other two, two which mm-hmm. had nothing to do with any of this. 
Um, another one read, cross-dresser killed two weeks after town learned her true identity. The media- Cross-dresser? Yeah. Oh my gosh. Mm-hmm. The media portrayals of Brandon's behavior as deceitful typically equates gender identity with biological sex. So any expression of gender identity that does not correlate with biological sex is construed as deception. Mm-hmm. But again, it's literally just a lack of education or maybe just ignorance or not wanting to accept Mm -hmm, like what mm -hmm. you know what it is the cultural lens through which gender identity has become understood requires that certain kinds of identities cannot exist that is those in which gender does not follow from sex and those in which practices of desire do not follow from either sex or gender transgender identity is especially perceived as a threat to binary sexual difference and many theorists regard transgenderism as a challenge to the commonly accepted truths of sexual identity Mm. so i don't know if you remember but like in recent years, like whenever we would be filling out forms, it was like male or female. Mm-hmm. And then there was like kind of a big push to either remove that altogether mm-hmm. or add something else, mm-hmm. you know, so that people who weren't identifying as male or female. So all of these things, like it's taken so long to even get there. And I think, I mean, now thinking about it, because this isn't something I like had thought about at the time, but like now thinking thinking about it, it also happens with like race right so like white black hispanic whatever whatever and then the last one is always other Mm -hmm. so you're now seen as just another Mm -hmm. and that was the same it's the same thing with like male female other yeah or do now they're now they have the one that's like does not wish to identify or whatever but again like that all happened very recently Lauder and Neeson delighted in forcefully exposing Brandon's genitals, which they equated with her true gender identity. Through this incident, it becomes possible to view Brandon's murder as the acting out of hatred for a woman who rejects binary sexual difference. Brandon's genital exposure involves a gruesome performance of patriarchal heterosexist power that brands enforceable limits and truths about gender identity onto the female body. At the most basic level, and this is literally the most basic, Mm. Brandon was a female cross-dresser, a woman who dressed like a man. Tina Brandon, a teenaged girl, was a tomboy from an early age. She refused to wear dresses. She played pranks in school and longed to join the army. And feminists might contend that Tina, like other female-to-male transgendered people, resisted the conventional scripts of femininity by employing the mask of masculinity. Because she felt trapped by her female body, Brandon dressed like a man and adopted various disciplinary practices to coax her body into maleness. She strapped, like I said, the ace bandage around her chest. She would face her or shave her face. She would stuff her um, socks into her jeans. And she cross-dressed in many ways in order to attain the privileges of masculinity and possibly to express her sexual preference for women in a homophobic society. Some feminists have understood Brandon as a transgressive woman who performed gender and sexuality as a continuum of practices and behaviors rather than a fixed identity. So from this perspective, Brandon radically questioned gender norms, heteronormative society, and the family. However, others argue that cross-dressers like Brandon merely reinscribe essentialist conceptions of gender identity. So in their view, Brandon's desire to be a man is problematic or as best ambivalent. If Brandon feels uncomfortable as a woman, how does she know that she really wants to be a man? Although Brandon is unhappy with conventional femininity, she does not contest its hegemony. Rather than questioning femininity or binary sexual difference per se, she desires conventional masculinity. As a result, although her cross-dressing complicates conventional gender roles, it ultimately leaves them 
intact as opposed to upsetting the status quo. So they're arguing that even though she is Mm cross-dressing and she's questioning them, she's almost just buying into the privilege of masculinity instead of challenging it. Like for her, it was just easier to just be a man so Mm -hmm. that she can enjoy all of the like male privileges without actually wanting to be gender non-conforming or like wanting Mm -hmm. to push boundaries about like fluidity, gender fluidity or anything like that. But that's reductive because Mm -hmm. transgender community encompasses a wide variety of people, cross-dressers, drag queens, individuals who do not feel like they belong to either sex, Mm -hmm. people who are in the process of transitioning from one gender identity to another, people who are able to pass as their preferred gender with little or no medical intervention, and those who have already completed their transition via hormonal treatment and or sexual reassignment surgery. Given the diverse and fluid expressions of gender ambiguity and sexual identity within this group, it's reductive to conclude that transgenderism reinscribes conventional masculinity and femininity. Amen. (laughs) (laughs) Constructions of sexual pathology and deviance, coupled with symbolic erasures of female body and sexuality, exist on a continuum with hatred and physical violence. This case is a slippery slope between misogynist hatred and murder. Sheriff Lowe's inability to imagine that Brandon's assailants would accept the truth of his genitals at face value, so without penetrating the vagina with a finger or an object, is informed by a cultural imaginary that posits female genitalia as a literal hole. Yeah. You know, like, (laughs) the sheriff's disbelief also disturbingly correlates to the misogynist and homophobic hatred and will to truth that Lauder and Neeson enacted while exposing Brandon's genitals. The characterization of Brandon as an it dehumanizes Brandon based on his ability or inability to be neatly classified as either male or female, gay or straight. Mm -hmm. Lowe perceives Brandon's relationships with other women as a sign of perversion. And because Sheriff Lowe regards Brandon's gender identity crisis as a willful act of deceit, he discredits his police statement and ultimately discredits his rape charges. As a result, Lowe discounts the threat made by Brandon's assailants, um, Neeson and Lauder, which basically told him that if he were to expose what happened or go to the police about what happened, they would silence him, Mm -hmm. a.k.a. kill him, which they did. His inactions demand an inquiry into the nature of law enforcement officials' duty to protect endangered citizens, which we are still here today, right? Mm -hmm. Like, this is something that is still going on. At what point are law enforcement officials obliged to intervene in order to protect a life? When can someone's life be defined as endangered? As a general rule, law enforcement officers may not be held liable for a failure to protect individual citizens from criminal acts, which seems crazy, but Mm -hmm. I guess like if you're not there, how can you be to blame for it? Yeah, I guess. Mm -hmm. But on appeal of Brandon's case, the Supreme Court of Nebraska noted an exception to this rule. The Supreme Court found that Lowe did have a duty to protect Brandon because of a special relationship that existed between him and his role of law enforcement officer and Brandon. This relationship was created on the basis of Brandon's willingness to aid law enforcement officials in the performance of their duties. So Brandon actually coming to Lowe to mm-hmm. press charges to tell them about what happened suddenly makes it so that law enforcement actually does have a duty mm-hmm. to protect him because he's coming to him. Because Brandon's murder was enabled by an entire spectrum of violence exercised by Neeson, Lauder, and by extension Lowe, it could be argued that Brandon was raped and ultimately murdered because he was a female who dressed like a male. 
In other words, Brandon's rape and murder can be appropriately construed as extreme forms of gender and sexuality-based discrimination, Mm -hmm. domination, and violence. By virtue of his dehumanization of Brandon, coupled with inaction, Sheriff Lowe breached his duty to protect Brandon from known assailants. He did so in the wake of both a brutal assault and an explicit threat to Brandon's person. Because he reached the duty to protect Brandon, dehumanized him, and invalidated his testimony, Sheriff Lowe served, in effect, as an accomplice to murder. Oof. And you would like to think that something would have happened to him. Uh-oh. <laughs> <laughs> but he went on to, like, serve as, like, different, like, officials. Like, he had, like, like ran for city government type of oh thing. Oh, my gosh. At the end, though, he kind of wavered off, and I think he ended up, like, driving school buses. <laughs> but, like, it's not like anything bad happened and he like he was never held accountable Mm. courts often reinforce essentialist views of the appropriate behavior of the female victim so again like we've touched on all this before Mm -hmm. but for example the use of the reasonable person standard in cases of violence against women denies the subtle operations of power and the complexities of women's responses to the violent experiences of rape and sexual assault as the studies of rape trauma syndrome indicate many women experience rape as a shocking disarming and ultimately disabling crisis some women freeze in response to this trauma and are therefore unable to take the reasonable action of voicing dissent or physically resisting their assailant's behavior similarly the legal definition of force discounts the subtle power dynamics that often accompany sexual assault the legal assumption that all sex is consensual unless proven otherwise assumes a certain positioning of men and women as equals or as similarly situated within all social and professional contexts. Yes, yet this perspective denies the reality of pervasive sexual inequality, which is crazy because it's true. Like men and women are not the same. Mm-hmm. The way we're seen is not the same. Mm-hmm. And so therefore for like the actual legal system to view something as complex as rape mm-hmm. as you know like well it has to be this like reasonable beh- it's not none of it is reasonable right and the way we respond and the way we react can't be seen as well this is what re- what is reasonable and this is what's not mm-hmm. it's just crazy a particular confluence of truths about the body gender identity and sexuality erupts in transgender violence such violence largely derives from dehumanization Individuals whose gender cannot be classified according to the parameters of binary sexual difference are often regarded as inhuman, yet gender dynamics are by no means irrelevant to transgender violence. The fact that Brandon Tina was a biological woman matters. He was not murdered solely on the basis of his transgender identity. Transgender violence targets both men and women, but Brandon Tina's case highlights its particularly brutal effects for female to male transgendered individuals. And so lastly, I wanted to touch on the fact that in the telling of Brandon Tina's murder, the murder of Philip Devine gets lost. Philip Devine was a black man visiting an all-white town, not to mention he was there visiting a white woman who he was romantically involved with. The town of Fall City was pretty public with their racism. It was widely known that they would deny service to African Americans at the town's fast food restaurants. Oh, as one of those kind of towns. What the heck? Mm-hmm. In fact, Fall City had once been a sundown town where African Americans who stayed past twilight were at risk of being killed. Oh my gosh. So in the 90s? No, so this was previously. So oh. it was previously a town like that. Okay. <laughs> Wasn't happening in the 90s. 
I mean, I guess per like, se. Right. Yeah. Um, but the fact that it was one of those towns mm-hmm. just kind of come like goes to show what kind of town it probably Where they're coming from. Yeah. yeah. Which, by the way, if anybody's watching um, Lovecraft Country on HBO, it's so good. It's so weird. I don't think I understand most of it, but it is so good. What's it called? Lovecraft Country. Many of the media representations of this case fail to examine the possibility that race may have played a role in his death. The de-emphasis of Philip's story from accounts of the case contribute to the systematic, omnipresent devaluation of black lives. So the movie Boys Don't Cry is a really good movie. It is, yeah. I think. But it's just a movie. It's not a documentary. It's Mm -hmm. not... I can't say that it's like a true representation now, having researched everything Mm -hmm. about this... um, like this crime there is obviously a lot of stuff that was left out but if you just want to watch a good movie and kind of get an idea, get an idea about what this happened. that would be a really good place to start or something you could watch it's a good movie but i can't say it's accurate i can't say that they did a very good job at like breaking down everything that it meant for mm-hmm. brandon to be in this town what the town was like all of that stuff so if you just are looking for a good movie it's a good movie but that's it Um, After Brandon's murder in 1994, his mother ended up suing the perpetrators as well as Charles, the county sheriff. The prosecution argued that Brandon's murder was the culmination of a conspiracy to rape him and that both crimes were motivated by hatred for a female who dressed like a male. Furthermore, prosecutors claim that because Sheriff Lowe did not intervene in the week before Brandon's rape and murder... Despite there being incriminating evidence, he breached his official duty to protect Brandon Tina. But like I said, nothing came of it. Nothing. I mean, she did win the civil suit, but as far as like the actual sheriff, no accountability. accountability. Mm -hmm. Um, In September of 97, Judge Richard Kopf disagreed with the prosecution. On behalf of the Nebraska District Court, he opined that Sheriff Lowe did not have a duty to protect Brandon. According to the judge, Lowe had no reason to believe that Brandon's rape was motivated by disdain for female-to-male transgender individual or that such hatred, even if documented, could lead to murder. Oh, no. Four years later, on April 20th, 2001, we're already in the 2000s, the Nebraska Supreme Court overruled the lower court's decision. Chief Justice John Hendry held that based upon the undisputed facts in this case, we determined that Lowe's conduct was extreme and outrageous beyond all possible bounds of decency and is to be regarded as atrocious and utterly intolerable in a civilized community. Good. So good. So this is a heartbreaking story of Brandon mm-hmm. Tina and the Humboldt murders. Um, sadly, 2020 has already seen at least 33 transgender or gender nonconforming people fatally shot mm. or killed by other violent means, the majority of which were black and Latinx transgender women. However, many of these stories go unreported or misreported. Yeah. So it's clear that fatal violence disproportionately affects transgender women of color, Mm -hmm. particularly black transgender women, and that the intersections of race, sexism, homophobia, biophobia, transphobia, and unchecked access to guns conspired to deprive them of employment, housing, health care, and other necessities. Anti-transgender stigma, denial of opportunity, and increased risk factors compound to create a culture of violence and provides clear ways that each of us can directly make an impact to make our society a safer place for transgender and gender nonconforming people. So honestly, I think like the biggest thing we can all do is just learn Mm -hmm. about it Mm -hmm. because 
although this has been going on for a really, really long time, transgender people is not like it's not something that came about in the 90s or yeah. early 2000s. I mean, like literally they have been fighting for gay rights since gay rights was an issue mm-hmm. in like the early 60s and 70s. Um, I just don't think that people have truly taken like a vested interest to learn. Mm-hmm. I think it was like, yay, gay rights. Like, yes, like gays and lesbians are now accepted in society. Like that's kind of where it ends. Where it ends. But it, that's not where it ends. There's still a whole group of people who are continuing to suffer today. So learn, ask questions, re- like read into it because there's so much that I think could be achieved with just an understanding mm-hmm. of what being transgender is. And then you'll get into, again, like how transgender people are not, you know, they have lesser opportunities for housing, lesser opportunities for work employment. I mean, all of these things, um, which makes them a kind of high risk population. Yeah, population. Yeah, I think the learning thing is such a big one because it's so hard to be understanding and accepting if you're not if you don't know about it. Mm-hmm. And so not taking that time to understand it fully is what leads to the bias and, and you prejudice know, and, and prejudice. Yeah. And fear. If, like the mm-hmm. whole fear mm-hmm. thing. That's literally what drove these two men to commit murder. Mm-hmm. They were, they didn't understand it. They were, they were afraid of it. They caused them to question, I guess, like masculinity and femininity, femininity and this, like now this new thing. And also just like male, toxic masculinity right like it is a thing (laughs) and always a thing. (laughs) i think the fact that women in the town loved brandon and Mm -hmm. that they they expressed how understanding he was how he knew how to treat a girl how he knew how to please a girl like all of these things suddenly hurt their ego yeah it hurts their ego like oh shit like that's not another man like that's a woman like taking her you know what i mean Mm -hmm. like this one of them had dated lana Okay. And so it was an even bigger, I guess, blow to, him. Blow to the mm-hmm. ego. So again, like, stop being toxic, males, please. <laughs> Understand, learn about this. And and honestly, like, the, the learning and the understanding will hopefully kind of take away from, like, the blows to the ego, to masculinity. Like, yeah. there's room for everyone in this world. Yeah, I think also, so, like, with the pronouns thing Mm -hmm. i know a lot of yeah i know a lot of people i've heard a lot of people you know annoyed with it or not understanding it and you know when you hear all these stories of all these transgender and you know being murdered or Mm -hmm. being assaulted and you know being subjected to a lot of violence the pronouns thing is so simple for someone to just accept but it changes so much for them you know it gains that acceptance that it's not a he, she, that's it. That's where it ends. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, the sooner that we can all just be like, there's a bunch, there's they, there's, you know, whatever there yeah. is, then it's easier to just accept these people for who they are. And yeah. Because we, I mean, we are like minorities. We're, I'm, yeah. we're Mexican, whatever. But like I, when I've introduced myself to someone, like I've never had someone question me like, well, like, why do you want to go by that? It's like, what? Like, Mm-hmm. why like why are we questioning other people like mm-hmm. let them be who they say mm-hmm. they are and mm-hmm. who they feel they are and all of these things like why quite like what gives you the right to question someone for what they want what they want for themselves mm-hmm. i guess like you're right like if everybody was just more accepting like we wouldn't have this conflict these issues mm-hmm. it's kind of crazy it's crazy and i mean even me like reading through all of this and kind of like learning about it because 
I, I don't have transgender friends. I have a lot of gay friends. Mm-hmm. I have lesbian friends that I love and adore and mm-hmm. that like I want everything that I'm able to have for them and I will be there fighting for them. Mm-hmm. But I personally have not had transgender friends all i'm saying is like i had to learn i did a lot of learning i I did a lot of research and but i was still understanding Mm -hmm. you know like i might not have like understood it fully but you're gonna accept it right like i might not have fully understood the terms but i understood that if someone says they are who they say they are i accept it Mm -hmm. i don't it shouldn't be more difficult than that no it shouldn't be a question so that's that (laughs) i hope that this was somewhat of a like a learning episode for mm-hmm. for people who you know like myself might not have known as much about it because when i watched the movie i was just like man that's a crazy story yeah right? we like, totally cried when we watched it we were crying right like when i watched the movie it was just like that's a crazy crime i can't believe that happened in the 90s but that was kind of it like mm-hmm. the lens through which i'm seeing everything now because it's 2020 and so much has changed and there's been so much education and yeah. so much going on it's just completely different because there's so many factors that led to the murder it wasn't just like they got mad and killed this person like no there was so much deeper rooted issues going on that are still going on today yes so thank you for that one hopefully you guys enjoyed this i enjoyed it and that's honestly all that matters just kidding (laughs) as long as you and i are happy i enjoyed it (laughs) and i purposely didn't watch the movie because i didn't i obviously i've seen the movie but Mm -hmm. i didn't watch the movie in like for this story yeah for the story because i i wanted it to be not the hollywood version of the story and the actual like everything that happened i like that you did that yeah so to end the episode today's amplify corner is a shop i found called a tribe called queer it was founded by sabina maxine a black latinx and native queer femme so the clothes that she makes have statements and she says that she makes these so that the wearer should not have to utter a word so basically if you come across her work, you'll know exactly kind of like what the person stands for, like or what that. they're about. Mm-hmm. The brand also has a podcast and Maxine donates a portion of her total profits to Black Lives Matter and Project Q. And so I looked into Project Q because I hadn't heard of it. But Project Q is a nonprofit organization founded by Maydeen Ray Lopez. The organization helps LGBTQIA plus youth navigate a world that perpetually tries to diminish them their mission is to use hair and self-empowerment as a form of social justice and so one of the reasons why i was really impressed by by project q or why this one kind of like popped out at me Mm -hmm. is because they provide free gender affirming haircuts self-empowering workshops food and hygiene boxes gender affirming clothing chest binders menstrual product and so much more to the youth experiencing homelessness. Aww. And so I just thought like something about that just really connected to the life that Brandon mm-hmm. was leading, you know, with the chest binders and the clothing and that like the his haircut was, mm-hmm. you know, that like masculine haircut. Um, he was technically kind of homeless when yeah. he arrived in Fall City. He just so happened to meet Lisa Lambert and was staying with her. But again, like there's something to it that... They go through so much just trying to live their life that it's really nice that there's nonprofits like Project Q who are not only helping them, but are like empowering them Mm -hmm. to continue to be their self. Like, oh, you want short haircut? Sure. We're going to cut your hair. Like, you know, whatever it is that you want, like we are here to help. So I really, really liked that. 
I think people also don't understand how important those things are right. to them. So I can't talk about any cases specifically um, because of confidentiality, but I can say in general in my line of work um, dealing with foster kids, we do have a lot of um, transgender kids coming in and some of them are in the situation they're in because their parents didn't accept them mm-hmm. once you know they were trying to transition um, or when they came out to them. And so I've seen them come into court having to ask the judge, like, I want to cut my hair and my parents never let me or my foster parent doesn't know if I'm allowed to or whatever the case is. And, you know, and then it's up to the judge to make a decision on simple things like that, like you just mentioned. And whenever the judge is like, yeah, you know, do that. That's if that makes you happy, I'll allow that to happen. And like, I've seen some of them cry because they were happy Mm -hmm. about it. So something that seems so insignificant to us it really is to them. So this is really cool now that you're telling me about this um, because I've seen it happen. Right. And like that just goes to show that just like there's white privilege, male privilege, there is such a thing as like, I guess, gender conforming Mm -hmm. privilege. You know, like the fact that you and I happen to just be want to be female and we dress like we want to dress and it happens to fit with societal norms. Mm -hmm. Things like dyeing our hair, cutting our hair, painting our nails, getting manicures and pedicures, all of those things that to us just seem so insignificant Mm -hmm. are huge things for people who just don't happen to want to fit or to fit in with what society thinks is normal and accepted. Yeah. So again, like things as small as cutting your hair or wearing looser clothes so that like, you know, your chest isn't showing. Right. Whatever the case is, like all of these things, as small as they are, mean the world to someone who is going through all of this. Mm-hmm. So like, thank you project Q for existing. I'm happy to have found you. Yeah. That's awesome. Um, you can shop for shirts. They have, they have a zine, I think, but like, yeah, all of their products, um, you can find at a tribe called queer.com. And then if you want to learn more about project Q or how you can help, you can go to project Q.me. So project Q.me. I love their shirt that says the first pride was a riot. Yes. That was really cool. Yes. So that was our episode for today. Thank you, everyone, for listening. And if you haven't done so yet, you leave us a review on Apple Podcast, send us a screenshot of it, and we will mail you a free Unjustly sticker. And follow us on Instagram and Facebook, both under Unjustly Podcast. Um, You can email us if you have any story submissions at unjustlypodcast at gmail.com. If you have any corrections, please send it our way because we like to learn as well. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Goodbye. (laughs) See you next time. Mm -hmm. Do you remember the 21st of September? Oh my god! Break me off a piece of that fancy feast. It's a cat food. Hi everyone, welcome back to Unjustly. My name is Stephanie and this is my co-host Sandy. Hi. Oh my god. (laughs) That was terrible. (laughs) Hi. (laughs) It's like you're crying. She was, she slowly went into like, yeah. <laughs> she is here on her own will. <laughs> she is voluntarily here. No There's one has no restrained her. her. There's no gun to her head. She no. wants to be here. I started to cry when I knew my part was coming up. <laughs> this is my chance. I'm ha- better make this high good. As good as the first time. Oh. Sorry. Hi. Hi. No. Hi. Get it together. <laughs> I don't know about everyone else, but our day was basically just 
scary movies, hokey, not hokey pokey, (laughs) hocus pocus and candy. (laughs) Fuck. Hey everyone, welcome back to Unjustly. This is the fifth time we've had to do this. Hi. 